I am well aware of how delicate the issues of husband and wife relations can be. Not only from my own marriage, but from now 40 years of offering counsel to others. So I approached last Sunday's message on the wife God intended and this Sunday's message on the husband that God intends with much humility. I don't profess to be an expert on any of this. Uh, Edna and my children will be the first to agree that I'm a learner in many of these areas, just like you. But you cannot wait. You cannot wait until you're doing everything exactly right to present God's standards on any given subject. If you did that, we'd never teach anything. Instead, I stand where I am as who I am, and by the grace of God, I teach the design that God has for marriage, even though I understand I don't always do it right. I'm not perfect in those areas, but I believe that the desire of God is to take two people, a man and a woman, who are imperfect and form a more perfect union that is beautiful and that brings joy to everybody that comes into contact with them. And I believe that when God ties the knot, he intends for the knot to stay tied. So let's go back to the passage where we were last week, 1 Peter chapter 3. We looked at the first six verses last week. Today we'll look at verse number 7. Now listen, marriages may be made in heaven, but survival takes place on earth, right? Um, and sometimes survival is tough. So how can I, as a husband, obey the command of God in such a way that my wife will feel the result of my obedience? How can I be obedient to the commands of God in such a way that my wife will feel my obedience to God every single day? And that's the target for this message. So let's stand together in honor and reverence of the reading of God's inspired, infallible, inerrant word. And here is a word to husbands. We went through wives, now husbands. Verse 7. Husbands likewise deal, dwell, excuse me, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Father, if there was ever a need for a revival in our time, it is now, and what we need is a revival of godly men, men who uh, profess not only to be Christians, who not only profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but who are leading their families in that way, who are leading the church in that way, and who ultimately will need, lead the nation and world in that way. And so I pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit this morning uh, that uh, you will uh, convict our hearts that we may respond in obedience to what you have given to us as husbands to do, and that our leadership in those areas would be godly, that our wives would notice our obedience to you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. 
So this challenges us men to be the husband that God intended us to be. Now, instead of discussing the responsibilities that a man has toward his wife, and instead of doing it in the context of you need to do this and you need to do that, I want to take a little different approach. I want us to consider the impact of our obedience to God and how that can have a spiritual and a emotional impact on our wives. Because I believe that the man, the husband, has great power to influence his wife and children. Uh, and every day is a new opportunity for us to build up the most important person in our life, and that is our wives. And the way a husband does that is by being obedient to what God tells him to do in the Word of God. So there are four principles I want you to jot down this morning, men, that I believe will encourage you and help you in that process. And here's the first one. Principle number one is this. You need to learn how to practice intimacy with your wife. You need to practice intimacy with your wife. I want you men to, to highlight the word dwell in verse 7. Underline it, highlight it, circle it, do whatever it is you need to do so it'll call attention to you. This word dwell, it says husbands likewise dwell with them, talking about their wives. That word dwell is a Greek word that literally means make a home with them, live together. Now, the reason I use the word intimacy is that this word dwell doesn't simply mean stay under the same roof with your family. Doesn't mean you just live in the same house. That's too obvious. It's a more intimate word than that. Do you remember when Jesus, when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit or, or talked about the Holy Spirit coming into the world? You go back and you read John chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus said, I will pray and the Father will give you another helper that he may abide. That word abide in, the, in, in, in that word, in that text is the word dwell. Same word. That he may abide with you forever. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he dwells with us, he abides with us, and the same word is used when Peter talks about husbands living with their wives. They dwell together forever. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the most intimate relationship that I have. The, the, the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me 24-7 is the most intimate relationship that I have. Do you know what our hearts crave for more than anything else? And, and this is true across the board, men and women. God made us this way, and that's why we desire it. We crave intimacy. You and I have built in built in within, within us this craving for total togetherness. And God provides that. He provides it in marriage with a man and a woman. And so what do we talk about at the end of the marriage ceremony? That the two shall become what? One flesh. They dwell together. Now let me pause right here and say something. You have to remember how revolutionary this idea would have been 2,000 years ago. Um, everything in this verse, everything in verse 7 was completely 
counterculture to the way people lived and believed during that day. Generally speaking, a man's wife was considered his property. He owned her. He could divorce her, but she could not divorce him. Uh, she didn't have the right to get an education. And once she got married, her principal, her principal responsibility was twofold. Meet the needs of my husband and bear children. And that's how they looked at women. So in other words, she was a property owned by her husband. She was not a partner. She was not somebody for him to take care of and to love and to be intimate with, to dwell together. He just owned her. And she was nothing more than somebody to take care of whatever needs he may have and to bear children. So when Peter writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, you need to, husbands, you need to abide with your wife. You need to dwell with her. You need to have intimacy with her. This was completely revolutionary to them. Now, when you and I think of intimacy in the culture where we live, the first thought that we have is physical intimacy. And that's certainly a part of it, but it goes far beyond that. Listen, I thank God for physical intimacy, but people can be intimate. They can, people can be physically intimate without truly being intimate. Does that make sense? You see, true intimacy is part of your total being. It's, it's just, it, it is just sharing everything that you have, not just a physical act. It is sharing, it is the indwelling together, two becoming one. Husband and wife are one. They therefore must live in the realms of not only their own lives, but in the life of each other. And that seems to be the greatest challenge that men have. That's the greatest challenge for, not only do we fail to allow our wives so, so often we fail to allow our wives to even enter into the domain of our vocational life. But we don't enter into theirs either. We don't, not, we don't want them to get, we, we have it all blocked off. So I have my job and I have my home and I'll do my job and leave it there and don't ask me anything about it and I'm not going to tell you anything about it. And I also am not going to come home and ask you anything about what you're doing either. And that's how men operate so many times. When husbands and wives in America today say goodbye to each other at the breakfast table, if they still eat breakfast together, they don't meet up again until they get home from work in the evening. And this can be an incredible challenge. But men, listen, it is your responsibility. Get this. It is your responsibility for making sure that you are creating a dwelling at home for your wife. It's not her responsibility, it's yours. You're the one who's, who it, it didn't get that instruction from the wives last week. It just, it, it, but it says, men, dwell with them. Dwell with them with understanding. The great danger for all married couples is this. They make their children their common ground. They make their children their number one priority. And it's so easy to do because children occupy 20 to 30 years of a family's life from the time the first one's born till the last one gets out of the house. 
But once that nest is empty, nobody there now except you and her. Once that nest is empty, couples realize that what had kept them communicating and what had kept them working together no longer exists because the kids are gone. Now I don't have anything to talk about. Their, their, their reasons for remaining intimate, their reasons for remaining close have graduated, left home. So in order to avoid that, men, you and I have to shoulder the responsibility of dwelling with our wives, not our children, not our job, not our hobbies. We dwell with our wives at home, at home. And only then, only then will intimacy begin to come and be there for a lifetime. So principle number one, you need to learn to be intimate with your wife, and that's more than just physical. Principle number two, you're to be understanding with your wife. Isn't that what he says? He says, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding. Now I'm going to use an illustration here that may be a bit unusual, but bear with me for just a minute because I think you'll get the point. When you buy a new car, you drive it with understanding. Now, how do I do that? Well, you read the owner's manual. You figure out what kind of gas this car is going to have to have. Um, if, if I were to come up and ask you right now, men, how often should I rotate my tires? You know the answer to that. What kind of oil should I be using in the car? Why do you know all those things? Why do you know what kind of gas that car runs better on? Why do you know how often you're supposed to rotate the tires? Why do you know what kind of oil? Because it makes the car run better and makes it last longer, right? And then the whole time we've got that car, we're watching that thing. We're watching the gauges and so forth. See that we're responding to the needs of that automobile. Listen, gentlemen, there are some gauges that you can read and respond to when it comes to the needs of your wife, too. And if you're smart, you will dwell with her with according to understanding. You see, men and women, let me tell you something that's revolutionary in this world. Men and women are different. They really are. And, and, and God made us different. And praise the Lord for that. God made us different so that he might make us one. And the differences between men and women are not something that are bad, it's good. It's not a disadvantage, it is a design. It is part of God's wonderful plan. Uh, Pastor Jack Taylor wrote this years ago, but listen to this. Men and women are equal, but not identical. Men and women are equal, but not identical. We have always been and always will be equal, yet never have we been and never will we be identical. Yet irony of all ironies, do you realize that millions of people are working themselves to death to attain an equality that they already have? And millions of others are fighting over the fact that they are different and they'll never be anything but different. All you have to do is look at the, the news to see this. Look at all the people who are trying to transition into being something that they're not. 
I don't care how many operations you have. I don't care how many drugs they interject into your body. I don't care what they do to you. You are always going to be what God created you to be. If you were born a man, you'll die a man. If you were born a woman, you'll die a woman. And you can dress it up and paint it up and do anything else you want to. And it will not change that one bit because it is by God's design. So just accept the fact, men and women, listen, accept the fact you are equal and you are different. And don't try to make yourself equal because you already are. And don't try to change the differences. You're not going to do that. Your wife couldn't change her basic nature if she tried. And God wouldn't want her to do that. You wouldn't want it either if you really understood what the differences are. There are certainly physical differences, and boy, I like those. Right? I just want to see if you were awake. But there are also psychological differences. There are spiritual differences. There are emotional differences. The Bible says that we are to dwell with them with understanding. When God created Adam, listen, he built maleness into Adam. And when God created Eve, he built femaleness into Eve. And that's the way he intended it to be. And God gave the male leadership traits. God gave women responding traits. God created men to be the one who initiates. The Bible says that the man is to be to his wife what Jesus is to the church. So why, listen, go back and think about this. Why does the Bible say that we love Jesus? Because he first loved us. He was the initiator. And the marriage relationship, this may be news for some of you, the marriage relationship is supposed to be a picture of Jesus and the church. And so God built within man the need to initiate. He built within woman, and this is not bad, it just is how it is. He built within her the need to respond. So when you love Jesus, I don't care who you are, when you love Jesus, you simply are responding to the invitation of God and to the initiation that God took. I hear so many people say, well, I I found Jesus. No, you didn't. Jesus wasn't lost. You were lost. Jesus found you. You didn't find anything. You had nothing to do with it. He initiated the whole thing. He initiated a relationship with you, and you responded to him. And husbands, that is to, listen, you want to get, you want to have the best kind of relationship with your wife, understand that you are the one whose responsibility it is to initiate because she has built in with, in her psychology, in her spiritualness, in her emotions, the need to respond. Here's the point. Men, you and I need to be students of our wives. Now, there are practical ways that you can show your wife you get it. There are practical ways that you can show her that you understand her. I'll just give you two. Leave the toilet seat down. Look how simple that is. You'd be surprised at how many couples argue over that. 
Here's another one. Be a good roommate. Pick up after yourself. Don't make her go behind you and pick up all your, she's not your mama. She's your wife. Be, be, use the brain God gave you. And just try to think of practical ways that you can help understand her. Dr. Willard Harley wrote a fascinating book years ago called His Needs, Her Needs. And in that book, among other things, he discovered he did, he did 50,000 questionnaires. So this is a pretty, uh, pretty good research project that he undertook. And he, men and women, and basically what he comes to the conclusion is that women have five major needs. You want to write these down, that way you'll remember them. All right, remember, here's the five major needs of a woman. Affection, conversation, honesty, financial support, family commitment. After interviewing all these people, that's what he says he discovered that most women want. Affection, conversation, honesty, financial support, family commitment. Dwell with your wife with understanding. Here's principle number three. Peter says, give honor to your wife. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. I understand you almost take your life in your hands when you refer to a woman as weaker in anything in this world. But please understand what, what Peter's trying to teach here. Um, maybe you're familiar with Gary Smalley and uh, John Trent. They wrote uh, the book Five Love Languages, uh, among other things. One of the books that they wrote that doesn't get a whole lot of, 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 of respect, I don't think, is called The Gift of Honor. <clears throat> Here's a paragraph. Listen. Honor is a decision that we make to place high value, worth, and importance on another person. Viewing him or her as a priceless gift and granting that person a position in our lives worthy of great respect. Love involves putting that decision into action. Men, listen. Listen, I don't care how long you've been married. It is time this morning for you to make a decision. If you haven't been doing this, you need to start today. You need to decide right here, right now, this morning, that you are going to place a high value, worth and importance on your wife. She is a priceless gift to you. And she deserves a position of honor in your life, and she deserves to live a life of, of great respect. And then once you've made that decision, you need to put it into action. Do it. Praise your wife in front of your children. Look her in the eye. And I mean look her right straight in the eye. Don't look over her head or over her shoulder. I mean eyeball to eyeball. You look at her and you tell her how precious she is to you. You tell her how important she is to you. You praise her, not just because she's beautiful, not just for her physical traits. Now do that. 
but thank her for her character. Thank her for the way she serves God. Thank her for her wisdom. And just look her right in the eye and tell her. Now, some of you, you may have to look at her because she's going to be laying on the floor when you start having that conversation with her. She's going to pass out because you hadn't said anything to her in 20 years. This old couple went to see the pastor one time and, and, uh, for marriage counseling, and, and uh, he brought her in, and, and she sat down, and she said, you know, he hadn't told me he loved me in 35 years. And the preacher said, that's not possible. She said, it is. It's the gospel truth. In 35, we've been married 35 years, and he has not told me he loved me one time since, since the day we got married. He said, I just don't believe that. I don't, mean to, I don't mean to disrespect you or anything, but I don't believe it. So he brought the husband in. He said, your wife just sat right here and told me that over the 35 years that you were married, you have not told her you loved her one time. He said, that's exactly right. I haven't. He said, you mean all that time? He said, no, I have not. He said, well, why not? He said, the day I got married, I told her I loved her, and if anything ever changed, I'd let her know. That don't work. That don't work. Grab her right by the shoulders and look her right square dead in the eye and tell her just how precious she is. Do you, have you ever thought about what your wife does in your home or what she has done in your home? She's a meal planner. She's a nurse. She's a counselor. She's a policeman. She's a financial planner. She's a teacher. She's a cheerleader. She's a career woman. She's a spiritual advisor. She's a nursery worker. She has to learn how to decipher the dialect of a two-year-old. She's an administrator. She's a schedule planner. She's an interior decorator. She's a chauffeur, and she's a historian. And she does all of that in your home, and if she didn't do it, it wouldn't get done because you ain't going to do it. To me... Edna is my confidant. She's my companion. She's my lover. She's my advisor. She's my encourager. She's my partner. She's my comfort. Praise, praise your wife. Honor her. Do it. Just do it. It's simple. Principle number three, honor your wife. Principle number four, Look at your wife with grace. Look at your wife with grace. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Look at the very end of verse 7. Being heirs together of the grace of life. When wives heard that 2,000 years ago, you could not control the smile that broke out on their face. I mean, they were smiling from ear to ear. That's the first time anybody had ever told them that they were joint heirs, equal, equal with their husbands. And when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to a relationship with God, to the most important part of all of us, which is our spirit, which is our soul, wives are equal in every single way to their husbands. In other words, when you think about it, marriage is more than just the relationship of a husband to a wife. Men, listen, listen, your wife 
is your sister in the Lord. Ladies, your husband is your brother in the Lord. You say, well, that sounds kind of creepy. The husband-wife relationship lasts how long? What do we say in the wedding ceremony? Until death do us part. Husband-wife relationship lasts until death do us part. The brother-sister relationship in the Lord lasts for all eternity. It lasts for all eternity. Husbands, let me put it another way. You married the owner's daughter. You married somebody who is going to be spending eternity right beside you. You married somebody who is going to inherit everything that you're going to inherit as a child of God. You're not just married to any woman. You are married to a daughter of God. And since both of you are who you are, and since both of you are what you are, only by the grace of God, you need to look at your wife with grace and you need to treat her with grace. As a bonus, there's an added reason why you husbands had better listen to what Peter says. He says you better treat your wife with grace so that your prayers may not be hindered. That word hindered literally means to be cut off. You ever been on the phone, got cut off? Right in the mid, middle of your sentence? You're talking away, sharing something. I mean, it may be vitally important as far as you're concerned. You just get cut off. That's what this word means. That your prayers may not be hindered. If you don't treat your wife the way God expects you to treat her, listen, don't even bother trying to pray because God's going to cut you off. That's what it says. You know what that means? That means that your fellowship with God depends on your relationship with your wife. That's why in a way it's just unfair being a pastor. I can't stay mad at Edna. I've got to be right with her because if I can't pray, I can't preach. If I can't preach, we'll starve to death. I don't have a whole lot of choice in this matter. Men, listen. If you will practice these four principles, dwell with your wife, intimacy, understand her, give honor to her, treat her with grace, Memorize 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. You will do something for your wife and you'll do something for your children, your family that will have eternal value. I know some of you are widows. I hope that you can look back over your life with your husband when he was still here and say, you know what? I was blessed. I was blessed that, uh, that God put that man into my life and he treated me that way and he loved me that way and he loved me like Jesus and you just give praise and honor to, to God for that. Some of you are widowers. I hope you look back over your life and understand that one day you're going to see that believing wife again in heaven as your sister in Christ and she's going to say, you know what? You did a marvelous job. For the rest of us who are sitting here today who still got our spouses with us, 
let's get busy. Let's do what God called us to do. I said earlier, I, I certainly have been praying for many, many years for revival to come to the church. Listen, you don't have to go to Asbury. I know people are taking a trip and going up there to, to see what's going on. You don't need to do that. You can if you want to, but you don't need to. Because the same spirit that's there ought to be here and ought to be producing the same kind of thing here that he's producing there. And that just means we need to open ourselves up, be available to the spirit. If there's ever been a need for revival in this nation, it's, it, it is the need for revival of godly men. Godly men who will stand up and do what they're supposed to do. Be what God created them to be. Serve the way God created them to serve. Love their wives and their family the way God created it, intended. So let's just pray that God will use his word and his spirit to challenge us in that way. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts. We would listen. You're the only one who can do this. And so I pray that you will start with me. Convict me of my own sin. Show me my own shortcomings so that I can repent, confess, be made right with you.